Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Project MedTech. I am the founder of Project MedTech, Dwayne Mancini. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review, and you can always visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. This is another episode of Project MedTech's series, MedTech Money. This is a special series by Project MedTech where we have partnered with Mr. MedTech himself, Giovanni Loricella, in a series of podcast episodes focusing on money in the MedTech space. Giovanni's guest today is Lucien Goffar from RoboCath. In this episode, Giovanni and Lucien discuss raising capital from China, China's massive interventional cardiology market, how they used Mavi to help raise capital in China, the timeline of raising capital, their relationship with Micropart, what value does an investment baker bring, and more. So without further ado, Giovanni's discussion with Lucian Goffar. Medical innovation starts with medical discussion. Talking about the future and what comes next with Project MedTech. Lucian, thank you very much for your time and for joining us here. This is the MedTech Money podcast series powered by Project MedTech and sponsored by Lifeblood Capital. And the reason we're here is I've talked to thousands of MedTech entrepreneurs and investors all around the world. And I've discovered that there's no silver bullet specific formula or magic behind how to raise or even invest capital in the MedTech industry. So I thought my goal here was to extract your insights and anecdotal stories from investment bankers, from attorneys, from investors, and also from entrepreneurs like yourself, so that we can ultimately help those people who can learn from this information and also for generations of both entrepreneurs and investors to come. I believe that the audience listening in on this is likely a bunch of experts as well as novices. However, I wanted to dig in and extract your stories, your insights, your advice, so that we can share with what I imagine is that first time founder or CEO that has no clue on what lies ahead of them in terms of raising capital in that journey that they're going to be on. And so I thought the best place to start is from learning from experienced professionals like yourself. So I'm quite excited because not only do you and I know each other for years at this point, but I have a few major points that I want to highlight why you and I are specifically here, which we're going to get out of this podcast. Um, I've I've also already interviewed Olivier Daros, who's the managing partner of um, Mavi Technologies, and who also um, is the investment banker who helps raise capital out of China for Western medtech companies like yourself. And I know that you've also had strong success with Mavi. Um, so I want to highlight what is it like to be a European startup who has successfully raised money out of China. So that's one thing. The next thing is, what is it like to actually utilize an investment banker in that process? What value do, does an investment banker bring that you yourself couldn't have done without them? We'll highlight some of those. And then the other two points. Um, once again, I've known you throughout your career. This is the first time that you're a CEO of a, of a med tech startup. So what's it like to be a first time CEO and, and some of those learning curves that you've taken on over the past couple of years? And then lastly, you're not only a CEO of a med tech company, but of a surgical robotic company. And so um, what is it like to raise money for a robotic 
company today and given the competition and what makes you unique, et cetera. So those are the main points I want to get out. Before we get into all of that, I have a few open-ended questions that I'd like to ask you. Your first question is, do you believe that people and money are the lifeblood of a med tech startup? Why or why not? Or am I missing anything else? Well, uh, well, first of all, uh, nice to nice to share with you this 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 hour. Um, so I would say both are uh, super important. Why? Well, simply because it's it's you need this mix. Uh, without money, well, you you cannot do anything, and with other people, that it basically uh, the same. So so it's it's this you know uh, it's to bring both together that will make you successful. Uh, both are key, indeed. I strongly believe in people because when people are motivated, when people are on board, when, when people have the willingness to succeed, everything is possible. And then obviously you will need cash to develop your technology and so on and so forth. But I will start with uh, the willingness of people uh, to be on board and to develop you know, a nice, nice project, clearly. And then... Going to how you've built your career to being CEO of RoboCath, and we'll get into who RoboCath is as well as yourself shortly. Knowing what you know about being a med tech entrepreneur at this point, would you do it all over again? Why or why not? Or what would you do differently, especially based on the, the various components of your career? Obviously, I would do it again and again and again, uh, <laughs> because I like that. Um, on the other hand, I would say somehow it, it is when, when you look back and when I speak, you know, with some others, uh, uh, friends that have been CTOs for a couple of, you know, decades now, uh, obviously all of us, we, we, we would do it again. Uh, now, uh, it is not, it is not an easy decision, obviously, but, but somehow it is not a surprise when you look around the people that are, uh, CEOs today, you could have bets you know, a couple of years ago on, on, on them because you knew that, that this is something that they had in their own DNA and they wanted to do it, you know, they wanted to do it something different. Now we all have a different pathway, uh, obviously. So we worked for some, well, my personal experience, I worked for big companies, medium-sized startup. I have been lucky to, to uh, you know, to meet with some, you know, incredible uh, leaders, uh, CEOs, and obviously, I would mention one because I was exchanging, you know, a couple of you know hours ago uh, emails with him, and it's 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 uh, Scott, you know, Hurricanes, uh, because we 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 work together at Volcano, and and actually this this experience really uh, pushed me to to towards where I'm today. The last question, Robocath, that's the name of your company. What's the, the story behind the name? What does the name of your company mean? So actually, I'm, I'm, I'm the CEO. So, so the founder, uh, so, so Philip Bento, um, found this name. And actually, that the contraction of uh, robotic and the cat lab, since uh, Robocath is developing you know, a dedicated robot for, um, for, vascular, uh, for vascular interventions, so today mainly in cardiology, uh, tomorrow in neuroradiology. So, so this is where the name is coming from. So robots and uh, cat lab, basically. 
And then lastly, the, the man behind the voice thus far, who is Lucien Goffa? Who, where did you come from? Where are you from? How did you build your career, your life, academics, through the rest of your career to now all of a sudden being lucky enough to being CEO of Robocat? Yeah. And yeah, luck so, is, is so, from all your hard work, by the way. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm a French guy. So I was born in France. And uh, I do have an MBA from, uh, from a school in the southwest of France. And um, fresh out of school, actually, I joined uh, big medical companies. And in my mind, before, you know, uh, before getting my first job, I, I was not thinking, you know, specifically um, of the medical device environment so that the opportunity came to me. And I joined a big company, Johnson & Johnson, as, as, as a sales rep in France. And then I, I moved for, I worked for, for, for Johnson & Johnson, then for Abbott's. Afterwards, I joined the volcano and I went through different positions. Well, then I moved also, I lived uh, seven years in, in Belgium, where volcano European headquarters uh, were. And, and after I, I worked for, for uh, other startups like uh, Stentis, a French you know, uh, company uh, listed on the Euronext in France, then for, for uh, Mitraline, where actually we met, uh, we, we met, and, and, and after um, I came back to a big structure um, because I, I felt that I was missing something. And when I was called you know, by some headhunters that were systematically asking me, what is the level of the PNL that you managed? And, and since I worked for, for startups, we were much more burning cash than really you know, uh, uh, creating some, 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 uh, uh, well, some sales. So I went to Boston Scientific and uh, so prior to join uh, Robocath, I spent four years with, with Boston Scientific in, in France, running the uh, interventional and structural heart uh, division. And, uh, and then after, obviously, you know, uh, I, I, I needed to go back to, you know, a much more entrepreneurial activities. And that's the reason why I joined, uh, I joined Robocath. Yeah. So now that we're at Robocath, Tell us about it. You told us, obviously, it's a, it's a robot that's going into the interventional field within cardiology, but tell us about the company. When was it founded? How many people are you leading at this point? And then we'll, after you get involved even to the technology, we'll finish off at the financing aspect and then we'll get into those I, stories. Yeah. So the company has been founded in uh, 2009 and the overall ID came from, from, came from, uh, from Philippe Bentos as a founder. Uh, who, who, uh, with a neuro, uh, with a neuro radiologist, and then he saw, you know, some first, uh, first, uh, the first actually uh, robotic uh, case um, at distance, you know, with uh, Professor Maresco. So then he thought, well, there is something to do for stroke management, and this is where his overall ID for robotic and vascular uh, came out. So, uh, so then the, uh, the company got the C mark in uh, 2018 and, uh, and I joined in September, 2019. And when I joined the company, uh, well, we, were, we had at that time roughly 25 uh, collaborators and today we are uh, beyond 70. So uh, in uh, less than two years, We'll, we we tripled the number of our uh, collaborators, so that's that's that's. Uh, and meanwhile, obviously, we went through the fundraising, our C series. So so uh, that's basically the uh, 
the where where Robocast is coming from. Now, what is the technology about? The technology it's a robot for vascular uh, vascular interventions. Uh, as I said today, for interventional cardiologists and tomorrow for for neuroradiologists or for uh, vascular you know uh, physicians and so on. So so this is where where we are today. And then the big news that came out, I want to say a year ago, last summer, is when you actually raised that large round of, of capital, right? Right. Yes. So, yeah, that's right. So the CCRE overall was a 40 million, uh, you know, uh, raising. And actually, uh, it's, uh, we initiated, well, it was initiated in 2019. And everything has been finalized in March, April uh, 2020. That, that's, that's uh, yeah. So uh, the, the Series C of 40 million, and by the way, we'll get into the mechanics behind that, but was that for finalizing the development? What was the purpose behind such a large round? 40 million euros is, is a big round. Yeah, so so the uh, this fundraising was to obviously to start, well, to finalize the first robot generation and to start a limited market release of our first platform. And to go beyond that, so basically to prepare the uh, second generation, which is going to have much more capabilities, and and also uh, to be able to have this what is so called you know remote procedures, and 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 uh, and and well the opportunity came also uh, to create together with Microport joint venture in China, and to get access to this biggest uh, biggest market. Uh, for, for together uh, through this joint venture. So this is the, the fun part. Um, so you raise this capital. Like I mentioned, I, I did interview and, and I've also known Olivier Daros for a while now too, who's the managing partner of Mavi Technologies. Right. But wh when you decided and when Robocath decided to raise this large round of funding, um, if we go back to being an objective med tech entrepreneur, putting together a strategy of where am I going to get my next round? I've interviewed VCs in Europe, in the United States, in Israel, from all over the world. I mean, how did you end up landing on, I'm going to raise money from China? I mean, what is that strategy all about for all those listening? And also, and if you could take it from a perspective of sharing as to why it's also an option for those who haven't explored it before, that would be helpful. Yeah. So let, let's, be, let's, be, let's be very transparent. Actually, our first goal was not necessarily to use, you know, a Chinese funds or to sign off, you know, an agreement with with a with a Chinese strategic. But I have to say that we have been lucky because when we were right in the middle of our fundraising process, we had three tracks. The three tracks were with three strategies, different ones, different nationalities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So basically. We had the choice and we decided to select the Chinese one. So uh, let's say that on an average, more or less, the amount of money that we were raising uh, was the same. But we took the decision for a couple of reasons. Some of them obviously are confidential. I, I, I cannot share them. But the reason why we, we found the, the, uh, the discussions that we had with this strategic uh, very interesting uh, different. Uh, we were convinced that we would uh, create, you know, value for the company for the near future, like having, you know, getting access to the Chinese market, which is the number one uh, in interventional cardiology because it's beyond, you know, uh, 
one, one, uh, one million procedures per year now, and, and also to, to, to uh, uh, create and to get, you know, the, uh, and to learn also from this strategic, uh, which was very fair and very open-minded. So that's, that's all these aspects, um, well, uh, lead us to take this decision for, for this trap. I, I have to say that the other ones were good as well, but we, we had different, you know, we were, well, you know, when you are right in the middle of, you know, a fundraising, you know, they are putting different conditions. And let's say that the ones that we took were the most appropriate for, for the company, for the stage where we were and where we wanted to go, basically. You know, it's always, you know, a, a give and take, you know, decision. You have to balance everything and you put plus minus for the different tracks. And then you say, well, for where we are today, for what we want to do, what we want to develop for, for, the, for, for the next steps and so on, we think that at this point of time, that's the best option to take. So you had these three tracks, you chose the one that ultimately led you to China. And then I have to assume you don't speak Mandarin, right? You don't speak Cantonese. No, we don't. Right. So there had to be this bridge and this gap of someone being able to help you out. So is that where Mavi and this investment banker Mavi Technologies came in? I guess if you would not have had you know, Mavi uh, between you know, this strategic and us, I don't think we would have finalized the deal. Let's be clear. I mean, you need someone, first of all, uh, who has the knowledge of both cultures. So the French one for Robocath and the Chinese one for, for Microport. And also because it's not only Microport, but because you know, we, Microport was obviously the leader of this, uh, of this series, but, but there are also uh, uh, some, some VCs from, from, from China and some others also from, from Europe, you know, which, which were uh, part of this uh, 40 millions um, uh, series. But uh, yes, indeed. So to, to, to answer to your question, indeed, Mavi knows very well these this different cultures. They, they have the know-how. They are very good also in, you know, um, while well, finding the right balance for both sides uh, to agree and, and in order to avoid any kind of frustration. Because, you know, when, we, when you are raising, you know, money, sometimes, you know, little things could become a huge, huge challenge. And this is where, if you have, you know, a company like Mavi, obviously, well, they, they, they are able, you know, to, let's say, uh, to balance everything and to slow down sometimes, to accelerate, uh, to, to, to go back and forth between the two parties. And so, so it's, it's, uh, it's something that, honestly, you cannot do alone. Because otherwise, it would be, you know, sometimes it could be very, you know, uh, Let's say uh, you, you could be right in the middle of a fight for something which is used, you know, uh, uh, useless. But then, then having someone in the middle is able to say, "Well, hold on, we, we're going to do it differently, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. So, so indeed, uh, without Mavi, we would not have been able to to uh, to finalize uh, this deal with with uh, with Microport. Clearly, yeah. So, for all those entrepreneurs listening out there now who didn't know that. China was even an option, for example, for raising money. Um, being a French company, a Western company, what were some of the major aha moments, like some of the biggest learning lessons that you received from that process of raising capital out of China? Like, what were some of the things that you just simply didn't know? And it could be anything from cultural to timing to 
financing to the mechanics of how venture works over there? Like what were some of the big items that you learned that if you could share with an entrepreneur who was even considering using Mavi as a, as a mediary or even just simply looking at, at China for an, a financing option, like what would you want them to know? Well, first of all, that everything is possible. So before, uh, before I was a, a CEO of Robocaf, I've, I've, I've never uh, you know, went through this process. So uh, I was completely green. So I, I learned and I was discovering many, many things. So uh, lucky, lucky us, lucky Robocath, we had you know, our previous board members that were used to manage you know, these kind of processes. And, and, and thanks to, to obviously companies like, like, like Mavi, but also like our lawyers uh, that were you know, supporting us, they have the know-how. So, so you don't have to be, you know, ashamed that if you don't know, I mean, you need to, you need to work. It's, you know, it's a collaboration work. You, you, you cannot work isolated. So you need to listen. You need to get some advices from, from different, as I said, you know, uh, here, like a fundraiser, like, like your bankers, like, like Mavi, plus your own lawyers. And, and then you put all the people together and then you find, you know, the mechanism. Um, it is not... Uh, it is not an easy process. Uh, tomorrow, if if I would be, you know, uh, raising again money, even for another company, there are some some you know some aspects or some some things that I would not necessarily do differently, but I would put different you know wordings because you learn. That's it. And 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 here again, it's really company technology opportunity dependent. I mean, there is nothing that you can write down for once. You have to rewrite every single time your own story. And it will be different because the people around you are different. Your board members are different. The expectations are different. You're the technology and time to market and next you know, generation development and so on are different and so on and so forth. But I would say, and since you know, we raised this, this, uh, this money, I've been contacted by... by uh, four uh, young uh, CEOs and some from two from France, one from Israel, one from Germany. And they were just asking me, well, how did you, which, you know, collaboration did you, did you sign off? Um, and what did you learn? What should we take care about? You know, this kind of, do you have tips and tricks? Basically, I mean, basically what we are doing today, it's, uh, well, it's uh, be open-minded. It's a long process, a lot of energy, a lot of stress. You have to be ready for that. It's, uh, <laughs> you have to be ready to work day and night, uh, especially when you are running out of money. So it's a, it's a question of, you know, uh, live or die, you know, for, for the company. So it's, uh, it's intensive moments. But here again, uh, I mean, somehow you have been prepared or you were born for something like that anyway. So then once you committed to the Chinese strategy, and I believe that you mentioned that you closed around in April, 2020, was that it? Right. Okay. So, I mean, you closed it incredibly fresh into COVID. I'm assuming a lot of the legwork and the back work took place before COVID. So did you have to fly to China? Actually, I flew with, with uh, together with Philip. we flew in December uh 2019 so and we went there because i i felt the need to meet with the people 
I said, well, you know, and and and, and actually in December 2019, we we were completely out of any kind of experience with lockdown, right? So we still needed to connect. And I said, well, we need to go there. We need to understand the company. We need to understand the people. We need to meet with the people. We need to, to, to feel, you know, somehow uh, what they are expecting and uh, how they are perceiving us. We need also to see if we could work together on a medium, you know, uh, short, medium and long, long run. So that's the reason why we flew there. And, and, and basically when we came back, we were convinced that, that because here there is a point, you know, which is always kind of, you know, uh, tricky to talk about it. It's, you know, you are always afraid about, you know, Chinese investments, strategies, what do they want, what, what, what is the real true, you know, uh, uh, what are they expecting, concretely speaking, and so on. Well, uh, I mean, like us, I mean, they want to create your new technology to save patient life. They want to create values. They want to they want to earn cash. Uh, you know, there is nothing really special. And then, thanks to again, thanks to companies like Mavi and and lawyers and so on, then you you, you can you know really put all you know the uh, let's say somehow you know the doorkeepers that you need to 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 keep somehow the freedom. Uh, to, to run the company and, and to, to go beyond where you are today. So when you had flown over there, you met the people pre-COVID. You mentioned this also took time and, and you said patience. From the time that you did accept this Chinese path of the original three strategies that you had, from the time that you accepted that path until the time the money was in the bank, how long did that take? It took uh, four months. Wow. Okay. If I remember well from the, from from the from the time that we said, okay, we're gonna take, you know, we're gonna work. Uh, it took yeah something like obviously we had discussions before, you know, right. we were smelling each other's and so on. But uh, from the from the time we said, okay, we we we're gonna go uh, with this option, and 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 the time we got the cash on our bank, something like I would say four four to five months. But so, so yeah. So, but when you say um, with that option, you mean the term sheet was already presented to you and then four or five months later, that's when you got it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, but there's a lot of work that has to be done oh, yeah. before yeah. getting your term sheet. So right. by the time that you explored that, that whole thing, I mean, are you talking like nine months, a year? Like even oh, the total year? process? Yes. Well, the total process from initiation, you know, first discussions. Yes. Until the cash on your bank, it's a year. Okay. It's a year. So yeah. that, that's good for entrepreneurs to know, because I mean, sometimes when I talk to first time entrepreneurs, you know, young guys and girls who are, you know, raising money for the very first time for their science project or their engineering project, and they say, oh, well, we're going to go raise a seed round of funding or a series A, and we're opening it in August, and we hope to have the money in November. <laughs> I'm like, I think you need to, to budget a little bit more time than that, because right. money doesn't come like that. So, okay. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a minimum of a year. And a lot of work, and you, you need also to know that that it is not because you do have a term sheet in your hands that it's a final. And this is where the tough part starts, right? It's when you start to discuss every single article of the term sheet. Yeah. So it's it's a yeah it's a long process. So then, let's speak objectively as possible. Once again, for the sake of the audience, 
What were the, the downsides or the most challenging aspects of raising money out of China? Uh, honestly, from our side, we didn't have any kind of, you know, uh, toughest part or it was not much more complicated for, for the other tracks that we would have had. Uh, sometimes you can get some questions from your own banks because they need to understand from where the, the cash will come from. And usually you have Chinese and you have, you know, uh, they might have some holdings in Hong Kong and so on and so forth. But as long as you are able, as long as the company is able to provide, you know, the, uh, the entire, uh, you know, process, then it's, uh, it's as any other kind of, you know, uh, investment from any other part of the world, I would say. Uh, we did not face any, uh, any major issue at all. And the whole entire 40 million round, like you mentioned, it was made up of Mike Report as a leader, but there was other VCs, et cetera. So a hundred percent of the 40 million was Chinese? No, okay. no, no, no. We, we had also from, we had our uh, historical, you know, VCs, okay. which were mainly French ones. Okay. Uh, so, so uh, and, and most of them reinvested in. Then we had new, new ones. Uh, and from from Europe, and then uh, from 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 China. Yeah, it was a mix. I would say. So that's good. That's really good to know. So I mean, they, they can also syndicate with one another. Exactly. Part of, okay. Cool. Uh, and I have to say that the uh, that the Chinese were really open minded. I mean, uh, for them, it was kind of you know uh, they were open to say, well, we we welcome you know any kind of other VCs from France or from Europe, historicals or not. Uh, here it was really smooth. But you, is it true um, you can't raise money out of China? Well, let me let me take a step back. When I talked with Olivier, he was talking about licensing deals, like licensing your IP for China or doing a joint venture in China, and then other ones, which is actually building your business in China, like having executives and things like that to run the company in there. Um, when you say that the, the Chinese syndicates or the Chinese investors joined your other investors. Were you, if you can share, is it, was it a licensing deal to China or JV or was it actually just simply additional investors into this? No, no. I think it's, you know, it's always a give and take. So, uh, I mean, we, we clearly, well, both sides really wanted to create this, this joint venture. Okay. And, and I spoke, you know, with different friends of mine who are running startups and are and I'm a board member of another you know startups startup and and actually you have indeed you have different you know uh, I would say possibilities sometimes it's a joint venture sometimes as you said it's a licensing for 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 the investment uh, as it pertains to Robocaf it's a joint venture okay. because we were convinced that by ourselves we would not have been able to approach the Chinese markets alone. Clearly, uh, and we 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 were convinced that the uh, vascular robotic, you know, technology uh, is 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 really expected in China. So for us, it was a kind of no-brainer. Uh, so so to build up together this joint venture and to conquer the Chinese markets clearly. And here again, it's it's yeah. And that joint venture. Because I, I just to wrap my own head around it, so I understand it, is it a joint venture meaning Robocath from the West in France 
meets with new partners out of China and you're building this together? Or is this joint venture, meaning like now it's a robocath of China and other people are developing it in China? No, it's, uh, and here I can share because it's a public information. We, uh, we had a press release on that. So we'll build up together with Microports is joint venture. So the joint venture is Microport and Robocath and has its own names. Which is uh, uh, which is uh, Catbot, so Catbot is the name of this joint venture that we created together with Microport in China. Yeah. Okay. So it's just Microport, or let's say Medbot, because Medbot is the division, the robotic division of Microport. So it's together we build up this joint venture. Yeah. And so when that joint venture happens, is it what happens on the product in France? also happens on the product in, in China, or because it's a separate buildup, is it something like the end result or the commercialized product of Robocath in the West could look and smell and feel different than the one that happens over in China? No, the, no, we are really aligned. Okay. So, so uh, there is no, there, uh, today, there is nothing specific for France or for the Chinese markets. So it's, uh, it's really the same. So today we are, we are providing what we are providing in France and, and in Europe uh, from, from Robocast, I would say uh, SA, it's exactly what we're going to provide in, in, uh, through the joint venture in China. Now, in the future, we might consider to develop something specific, you know, or some kind of options or key features on, on the technology, which is going to be much more adapted for, for the Chinese market. Uh, we could consider that, but on the other hand, I would say we are lucky in our business and in our environment. I mean, honestly, the way that 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 you know uh, uh, patients are treated um, on the global perspective, it's it's more or less the same. So what would be needed on one market will be needed exactly the same almost on the on the other one. Now maybe with some specificities for the remote and so on, which is you know key. We could have a, a different discussion on that. Uh, you know, robotic and uh, remote procedures and so on. So th that could be different from one country to another one or from one area in the world versus another one. But otherwise, yeah, the, the, let's say the way that patients are treated is, I mean, it's the same. So then being a CEO and being the CEO of Robocath, um, when you, let's just say, hang out here in the West, Europe and United States, for example, and you go to put together a venture capital round of funding, um, yes, you want board members, you want more than just capital, you want some advice, you want a network, you want help. Um, that's what these venture capitalists provide. Uh, but typically speaking, at least here in the West, I mean, if you were to go um, take money from the United States, as, from venture capitalists from the United States, they wouldn't, I wouldn't say make you, but it wouldn't necessarily be an option to have a joint venture open up in the United States, right? So that's now right. So that's just pure capital. If you were to raise venture capital from, let's just say, once right. again, US and Europe. Um, right. Now that you were getting money out of China, you had to create this joint venture with micro uh, with Microport as the CEO. Does that add more responsibility for you? I mean, now are you like running one and a half companies, or is it all one under the same? Like, what what does the the responsibility put on your back? If you open well, up a joint venture, yeah, good question. Actually, so indeed, so the fact to set up the joint venture, uh, obviously, you need to be involved. I'm involved, you know, on, on almost on a daily basis to to set up the joint venture. So 
And then, and obviously we created a board for the joint venture specifically where it's composed by, you know, different from, from people from, from, from Robocath and from Microport. And, and then I'm much more on the operational side. So to initiate, you know, the clinical program in China, to get the NMPA approval, to set up some product line for products that will be first dedicated for the Chinese market and so on. So yes, it's at some, some work, obviously. But, but think about the level of your company. You are no more French European company. You are becoming global. You are approaching the Chinese market. And, and, and next steps for us, it's, it's, it's the US, obviously. So, so uh, indeed, it's, it's, and what we, what the future uh, CEOs that will, uh, will be in my situation, they have to, indeed, they have to be prepared to, uh, to work you know, hard and fast. And, and, and I mean, it's time consuming, you know, to set up a joint venture in China and, and they want to go fast as well. So, so it's really taking your time for the good, obviously, but you need, you need to anticipate it. It's also taking uh, a lot of time to your team members, you know, from production, from clinical, from quality, regulatory, and so on. So indeed, you, you, it's additional work. It, it is not because you decide to create, you know, joint venture that everything going to be managed and it will be up to run, you know, overnight. No, it's uh, you need to, to dedicate some time specifically for that. Yes. So it, it doesn't sound like you've had a bad experience whatsoever. I asked you what the, the negatives were about raising money out of China and you said not much at all. Right. So we've been hearing some good stories um, for those listening. And you've talked about it like. Once again, not being a French company anymore, but now being a global company. So clearly growth. Specific to China, again, what are the positives of, of raising money out of China? Like, What are some of the things that all those listening out there, this is why you should really consider raising money out of China. Like, This is what it could do for you. Like, what, What's some of the great experiences that you had there? Well, honestly, for me, we, we only have so far, knock on wood, uh, we only have good experience. So first of all, they are super motivated, motivated, smart. Um, they are fair, so they let you, you know, run your company and 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 obviously ask you also to to consider the Chinese market, which is, uh, I would say, uh, obvious. Uh, there is cash, um, so and there is a willingness to to develop, you know, and to be part of the med tech development. Uh, so, so for me, it's only only positive things. I mean, uh, uh, they have a lot of resources as well. Uh, if you need to have some advices from uh, a technology, you know, a, a technology standpoint, you can also ask them. If you need some raw materials or production and so on, well, we all know that it's uh, uh, it's uh, China is is very specific for that. So for me, it's there is no. Well, so far, uh, so far, I would say uh, there is no, there is only good things. But, but here again, uh, we could have had a, you know, uh, good things also if we would have selected, you know, a US or a pan-European track. So I, I would not say it's better than any other because here again, it's a balance. It's, it's really depending on where the company uh, stands. Uh, what you want to do, what's going to be next, what you have, what are the other options, but but for sure you have to consider uh, 
China and the Chinese track and the Chinese investors if you are right in the right in the middle of a fundraising. I would not say you have absolutely to go with them, you know. No, but you have to, I mean, they have to be around the table. You have to consider them for sure. So in essence, and that was my, my final line on that before we move to the next question, but you would heavily recommend for all those listening out there again, at least considering China as part yeah. of your fundraising strategy. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Um, then objectively speaking, I know that you had a very positive experience with Mavi, but e even objectively speaking about investment bankers who raise money out of specific countries like China, having been a CEO who used an investment banker like Mavi, but once again, objectively speaking now, what I've, I've interviewed investment bankers specifically for this podcast series to have them tell me and us, the listeners, what an investment banker brings from their perspective. But I haven't had the CEO's version of what is it like to actually successfully use an investment banker? Like what, what value do they bring that why should CEOs consider using someone else to help them during a fundraise as opposed to the CEO or even the management team doing it directly themselves? Like what is the value behind a middle person, an investment banker? Well, because it's... it's um beyond the fact that they have all the mechanism, you know, knowledge and so on. I mean, uh, clearly they are facilitators. So, so they took two sides and they put, all, they put them together in order to find the right balance for the best, you know, uh, agreements. So, and also to find the best compromises because when you raise money, there, are, there, there is always, you know, give and take. And so, so you need to make some compromises. And they are the best to, to talk, you know, with the different sides and to find the right balance. And, and so that's, for me, it's alone. We could not have, you know, uh, went through this process alone successfully. So I'm sure, or, or it would have, you know, uh, it would have taken us uh, six or 12 additional months. That, that's also the price to pay. So if you want also, because it's, I mean, there is this timing issue, as we just said earlier, you know, when you, if, if the company is also running out of cash and it's a kind of cash 22, because I mean, you are, you know, when you're gonna, when you're gonna run out of cash. So basically you are trying, you know, to save some money in order to go, you know, uh, further into the year. But you, you have to pay, you know, these, these bankers. And you're like, oh, it represents an amount of money, right? So you're like, well, shall I? But on the other hand, if you go by yourself, I mean, it would put you out of cash. And then the negotiation during a, fund, a fundraising are not the same. If you still have a couple of months in front of you, you can still you know, negotiate. If you don't, well, you, you should better sign off with a banker in order to support you and to help you in order to accelerate the negotiations. You know, and to put the pressure also to the uh, well to the investors, right? So that's why I mean they are able to put pressure at the right time to the different side, and you you cannot do it, you know. Otherwise, you try to bluff, but uh, otherwise it's a poker. You know, you you play poker, right? And and we can't. You brought up a great point about even having to think about paying the investment banker, right? Because they're the middle person, they're a service provider. And it's like the, the same analogy 
or at least similar. Sometimes founders don't want to raise money from certain styles of investors because they're too afraid of dilution or giving up too much of their money, right? They don't want to pay for the money. That's in essence what they want or they don't want. Um, The same thing with with service providers. Sometimes there are these middle people who that's their expertise. That's what they do on a high volume basis. They've seen more deals come together than your one deal that you're going to help drive as an entrepreneur. So they have all this white noise, high level volume experience that they've seen this happen before so they can mitigate, right? So that's that's a, a benefit of being in the middle sometimes. And yes, service providers, investment bankers, they charge money for that. That's how they keep their lights on. Uh, but they're, you often hear about the entrepreneurs or the CEOs who want to save money, which we understand why. We understand why people want to save money, but sometimes it costs more money to save money exactly. than it does to spend money and do it properly. So would you advise those who, and, and also maybe you can shed some light to this too. Would you advise people to use investment bankers and obviously good ones, if, if, especially if you do some background checks to see if they are the right ones. Would you advise people to use investment bankers on big raises? And also, is there a certain time in a med tech startup's life that you really shouldn't use an investment banker. You should go at it alone. And then later, maybe you should use an investment banker. Like- yeah, it, obviously, I would advise to, to, to work with, uh, with bankers, obviously, with a third party to support you during this fundraising process. Uh, this is a no-brainer to me. But as you were just mentioning, it's a question depends on at which phase uh, the company is, right? So if I mix the part, it depends on if you are still, if with your friends and family, you know, uh, uh, you are able to raise enough money uh, to develop your company in order to get a C mark and so on and so forth. That, that is okay. You do not need anyone, right? To, you just need to, to have a good CFO uh, and, and, and that's it. But once you will, you will want to accelerate your company development, start commercialization, conquer you know, new markets, um, or maybe to develop further your, your technology in order to, to be sure that it's going to fit perfectly with the market expectations and so on. Well, then you will need, you will need an help. You will, you will need, because, I mean, let's say that there are different levels of investors, right? So it's... it's the more your, your technology is mature to be uh, on the market, well, the more you will need cash to, to put it on and to develop and to start and to accelerate the commercialization. And this is where you will need, you will need money. And your friends, uh, uh, well, your friends and family might be you know, rich. So, but here, when you start talking about you know, 30, 40 millions, and, it's, and, and actually, there, it's nothing compared with you know, what we could say also from the US, right? When you start talking about 100 millions or, or 50, 60, 80 millions to develop a company, it's, it's a lot of money. So, so you, you need help. You, you will need VCs for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. But, and, but another very important point, there is, uh, I mean, the, the future C, CEOs will want to raise money and to select, let's say, the right partner, the right banker. I mean, here again, they have to make their own you know, experience, they need to share, they need to spend time, they need to meet with them, they need to discuss, they need to feel them, you know, because it's super important. You're going to spend a lot of time with them day and nights, as I was, you know, mentioning earlier, 
So you need to be sure that there is a good fit uh, together, you know, between you and them uh, to work and to cope together and to be sure and to feel comfortable and confident that they will defend your the interest of your company. Uh, and this is super important because there are many, many, you know, fundraisers, there are many bakers, there are many, many lawyers. Uh, and here you need to, to select the right one. And it's not only about the, you know, the reputation, but it's only about the people. So we've touched on both raising money out of China and also the importance of the investment banker. Two last points that I want to circle on before we conclude here. Um, surgical robotic market in general, it's a hot market. Medical robots, super sexy. Acquisitions have taken place. A tremendous amount of robots are being developed right now as we speak for various applications. Is it the all-in-one robot? Is it the hyper-specific robot? Is it the attachment? Is it the actual system itself? Talk about being a European surgical robotic or medical robotic company, and also where you see this notion of robotics going, and also the amount of money being poured into this field, just in general, the whole, the big picture. Well, let's be clear that robots will be, are, or are already uh, key and right in the middle of the med tech, clearly. So we see it. So let's say that today we see much more because being, you know, a robotic a vascular robots, we make the difference between, you know, surgical robots and vascular ones. So there are plenty of, you know, um, surgical robots. So for surgery, different specialties, you know, orthopedics, urology, gynaco, and so on, fine. And then there is the vascular ones. So on the vascular ones, we are not so many. So, I mean, let's say that today we are only two on the markets, right? We are only two which, which uh, are, you know, uh, commercializing, you know, these this robots. And there are a bunch of, you know, new, new concept, new startups, which is just great because they bring, you know, and, and maybe tomorrow uh, we're going to cope together because it will be, you know, uh, uh, we, we, we could have, you know, some, some kind of complementary, you know, uh, uh, let's say uh, specificities or, or capabilities and so on. So, so but, but clearly this, this, this market, this robotic market is just booming and a lot of possibilities. And, and what is very interesting is, is to discuss, you know, with some physicians, some are, we all know that it will be, tomorrow robots will be in any kind of OR or cat labs, but, but some are still reluctant to say, well, what, where, well, I'm a physician, I need to work with my hands, but, but you will continue to work with your hands, your hands will manage the robots, right? So, so. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting, you know, uh, area, right? And, and you've been involved in the structural heart space, now in the robotic space, and, and somewhat combining both worlds at this point. You know, we've had so much innovation, but also so much money pour into both sectors. Right. Is there, is there going to be a point, you think, where enough money and enough innovation has occurred? It's now we just need silence and time for all this stuff to prove out effectively no because well we are we every day we are proving so every day we we, uh, we can see you know the benefit of whether in structural heart you know and 
and all what is happening, whether it's it's an, uh, many mitral or tricuspid, different you know specificities. I, I think that we we are so we are proving, but we are also learning. So we are discovering new capabilities. We are maybe discovering, you know, new specificities. You know, I'm not going to talk maybe too much about the the, the, the robotic it's, itself, but if we think about the structural heart, you know, it's really funny because the experience that I had it was mitral. We were thinking about repair first, and then maybe replacement, and then the other way around, no replacement, and then forget about you know repair. And now it's well. Repair might be good, and then maybe replacement, and maybe both. You know, so, and this is not because we were wrong. It's just because we learned, and 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 now we are improving, and then and then we 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 are thinking differently. That that and, and in robotics, that it, it's exactly the same, right? So today we well the robotic in vascular started in cardio. Now it's moving to neuro for stroke management. So and and. And you can speak with any kind of physician, you know, across the globe. They are all convinced. Robotic, vascular, whether it will be for interventional cardiology or neuroradiology. I mean, there is a need. There is a need for that. So then tying both these topics together, I mean, with all the acquisitions that we've seen occur within robotics over the past couple of years, few years, um, big money acquisitions, billions, millions, one of the themes that we hear about often is there's so few acquirers or potential acquirers in med tech. That's one of the major differentiators between med tech and biopharma, for example. There's just a lot more acquirers. Um, and, and some of the big guys like Medtronic and other ones, you know, they've already made their surgical robotic acquisitions. And I know there's obviously room for more. But going back to China now, opening up your mind to raising money out of China, what about all of the major huge companies that exist over in China that also could be acquirers that Western companies don't typically think about. You know, we think about Edwards and Boston and J&J and Medtronic and Abbott and obviously more, but um, we don't hear about the, typically, we don't hear about the microports or the other big China com uh, Chinese companies out there that could potentially become acquirers of Western companies. And is that something that you now, because you've, you've worked with China, you've raised money out of China, is that an option for you? Indeed, it is, everything is an option. So we are uh, open-minded to that. And I, I would, I, I think every day, you know, something in, is, is also happening in China, acquisitions and so on. I, the, the thing is, I guess that there are, or there is less communication, less noise around it, but it's happening on a daily basis as well, right? So, so um, when I look at, at, you know, I'm not going to make, you know, a big advertisement for, for Microport because that's not, that's not my point. But uh, uh, I mean, uh, I know, for instance, Microport, we all know that they acquired, you know, Sorin technology for the pacemaker business. It happened. Uh, and, and, but maybe there, there was less noise around or less communication around, around this deal um, versus, you know, a deal that could happen with the big, you know, companies that we all know, you know, uh, whether it will be Boston, Medtronic, Abbott's, you know, Edwards, or from specifically for vascular robotic, like uh, General Electric or Siemens or Philips or Canon, you know, all these guys, right? It's so, so but it's, it's happening. So for us, indeed, it's uh, for us and for, I would say, all of us, all of the entrepreneurs, all the startups guys, uh, indeed, it's an option. 
Why not? Or let's say, let's phrase it differently, you know? Why not? <laughs> Last question for you. You've been an exceptional candidate and profile for hearing all your stories as this entrepreneur, this MedTech CEO. I'm going to wrap everything together real quick. So you've had J&J, &J, Boston Scientific, an entrepreneurial experience with Mitraline, um, and then now being a first-time CEO running your own MedTech startup. Since then, you've raised money for the first time. You've used investment bankers. You've raised money out of China. You've worked with other venture firms in Europe. Um, and now you're bringing a JV, a joint venture to life as well. I mean, all these things that I have to assume you didn't do in those previous experiences. This is what you've done. And, and we're not even to September 2021 yet. So in under two years, you've learned and taken on all this responsibility yeah. as a first time CEO. Right. All those listening out there right now, what is it like to be a first time CEO based on what we've just heard? What do you love about it? And what's the hardest things about it? So just what I want you to say is for all those thinking about being you in the future, what should they know about how awesome it is to be a CEO of a medtech company and what no one wants to talk about and why it's so freaking hard? Yeah. So the, the, the good things is that, well, you, you learn every day. So it's, it's uh, very interesting. You, you, then you also um, discover a new aspect of the business, which is a pure finance one. You know, when, when it comes to raise money, it's a different environment. So you learn, you discover, uh, it's very interesting. And then you are in the middle of the, you know, the, uh, the process of developing a company and, and, and you need to see, you know, uh, after this storm of fundraising, what are you going to do when you're going to get the money? How are you going to, you know, structure the company and so on and so forth. So, so it's, it is very exciting. Uh, the, the downside is, well, you, you, when you take this kind of position, uh, you know, you, you have to be prepared to sometimes to be alone and, and uh, sometimes also to be criticized. Um, and it's, 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 part of the, it's part of the job. It's, uh, there is a cost, you know, uh, there is a cost be behind this, this job. And uh, work, obviously, work hard day and night, being awake, uh, many, many things that are going to uh, keep you up at night for sure but it's it's on the other hand it is not because of the job it's because of who you are and because of who you are you are a CEO so that's the most perfect point to, to, to leave off on and finalize on so Lucien Goffin CEO of Robocath thank you so much for all of your insights your stories your advice I'm sure all those out there listening in have benefited just as much as I have based on everything you've taught us today. So this is MedTech Money, demystifying raising capital. Thank you so much, Lucien. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at Thanks for listening and have a great day.